Welcome to Jury Duty, I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina who was accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a myriad of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we began our review of the direct examination of Will Loving, a close friend of the Murdochs. In this installment, we conclude our look at Mr. Loving's testimony. That's all coming up right after the break. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It is late afternoon on day six of the trial of Alex Murdoch. As we concluded our last episode, Will Loving testified about the 300 blackout rifle that Paul Murdoch would use while they hunted together. We begin today as prosecutor Creighton Waters moves on with his direct examination of Mr. Loving to ask the witness about his communications with Paul on the day of the murders. On June 7th, 2021, did you ever have any conversation with Paul or communication with him? Um, yes, I talked to him around dinner time. I was, I was cooking dinner in the apartment that we were staying in, um, and he called me about wanting to get a hot tub for the house that we were about to move into, and then he sent me a Snapchat a little bit after that, and that was the last time I heard from him. What was the Snapchat of? It was of him and his dad looking at the trees and stuff that they had planted. They had one uh, swoop down that obviously wasn't doing too good, but it was just a video of them looking at trees. You watch that video on your phone or something like that? Yes, sir. Waters next pivots to asking a series of questions related to Maggie Murdoch. Over the uh, years, as you got to know Paul, did you also get to know his family as well? Yes, sir, I did. Did you get to know Miss Maggie? Yes, sir, I did. To your knowledge, did Miss Maggie like to go down to the kennels? Uh, yes, she did. And how would she get down there? Do you know? Um, sometimes she would use her bike or her car or or walk. She liked to walk their two labs around a lot around the property, um, so it was not uncommon for her to go down there. And what would she like to do when she went down there? Um, she would go down and look at the dogs and mess with the dogs. A lot of times she liked to ride her bike, you know, right before it got dark, you know, on a sunset or something. But she was a she was a dog lover for sure. Would she go in the daytime? Or would she go at, at night when it was dark. I only saw her go during the daytime uh, most of the time. I mean, she might be down there once it got dark, uh, but I don't think she would go down there after dark. Let me ask you a little bit about Paul. Uh, what was his cell phone usage like? He used his cell phone a lot. Did he wanted to respond to you pretty quickly, typically? Yes, sir. He would respond pretty fast. You know where he kept it when he had it on him? What pocket he kept it in? Um, no, I do not. I, I'm, I mean, I, I know he kept it in one of his front pockets. I would have remembered if he kept it in his back pockets, but I don't know which one it was. Lastly, Creighton Waters asks about how the witness learned about the murders and his subsequent actions following the incident. How did you find out about the murders? I was called numerous times in the middle of the night. I finally woke up to one around midnight. I think it was 12.07, if I remember right. And uh, it was a cousin of Paul's, and she told me about everything. I was in the apartment at the time, and, you know, nobody really knew what was going on, so I got out of the apartment pretty quick. 
drove to my parents' house, talked with them for a minute, and we had some friends that were all awake in Charleston, so I drove straight down to Charleston in the middle of the night. Did you ever go to Moselle in the aftermath of everything? Uh, yes, sir. I believe I went on that previous Wednesday and saw the family. Did you ever have a conversation with Alec? Um, I did. Did you talk to him about any conversations that you had with Paul that night? Um, no, I didn't. We mostly just grieved. Did you ask him about what he was doing that night or what happened or the events of that night at all? No, I did not. Were you aware of what's called the boat wreck or the boat case? Yes, sir. And were you aware that Paul had been charged in that boat case? Yes, sir, I was. Were you aware that Alec Murdoch had been sued in that boat case? Yes, sir, I was. Did you ever talk to Paul about the boat case? Um, not much. You know, I didn't want to bring up something like that. You mentioned that uh, the family had an Edisto Beach house, is that right? That's correct. Had the Moselle property? That's correct. Uh, did they have another property at one point in time? Uh, yes, they did. They had their house in Hamden. Did they ultimately sell that property? Um, yes, they did. What was your understanding as to why they sold that property? Okay. Foundation. Answer if you know. Um, it was just through the grapevine to help pay for some of the lawsuits that they were under. Jim Griffin rises to object that the witness was offering hearsay evidence and Judge Clifton Newman sustains the objection. The objection is sustained. Prosecutor Waters adapts his question in response to the sustained objection. You say through the grapevine, uh, did you ever have a conversation or were privy to a conversation with Alec about that? No, sir. When you, uh, did you have a conversation or were you privy to a conversation with Paul about that? Um, we talked about the house being sold, but I don't believe he ever told me that it, that's what it was for. Going back to the uh, 300 blackout, what was the sort of effective range of that weapon? From what I was told from Paul, um, it was around 50 to 75 yards. It was accurate up to. Did uh, that have anything to do with the uh, discussion about why not to put a suppressor on it? Uh, yes, it did. When y'all were shooting that tan black, uh, blackout, 300 blackout rifle with the red dot optic on the side of the house in Moselle in March or April of 2021. Who was doing most of the shooting of it? Um, Paul was. Did Paul express to you any dissatisfaction with that tan one in the optic? Um, no, he did not. Did y'all discuss any frustration though with it being unusable for turkey shooting because of the optic that was on it? Um, for hog hunting? For hog hunting, sorry. No, not really. We kind of knew that when we took it with us that it was kind of pointless, but we just took it with us anyway. The red dot was pointless? Yes, sir. For night shooting? For night hunting, yes, sir. You were present when uh, they purchased the red dot, is that right? Were yes, sir, I was. The red dot? Yes, sir. Who paid for the red dot? Um, it was put on a store credit that was his father's. That was his father's? Yes, sir. Whenever Paul needed money, who would he get that from? Um, he would normally text his dad. When uh, you talked a little bit about Paul's habits, and you, you guys had an apartment in Columbia, right? Yes, sir. Did Paul like to go to Charleston a lot? He did. Like to go to Mo Moselle a lot? He did. Did he spend time in a lot of different places? Uh, yeah, he was all over. He was all over? Yes, sir. Happened to be back in Moselle on June 7th, 2021. Is that right? Yes, sir. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
Prosecutor Waters wraps up his direct examination of Will Loving by asking him about the Paul Murdoch video of Rogan Gibson's dog, Cash, that has now become familiar to the trial's jury. As we have previously played the audio of that video twice in this series, here we will simply recap the relevant parts. After Paul Murdoch greets the dog, we hear several voices. The first is a female voice, presumably Maggie Murdoch's, saying, quote, he's got a bird in his mouth, unquote. Then we hear another male voice appearing to express his displeasure at what he sees by lamenting, quote, Bubba. Next, Maggie says, quote, it's a guinea. Then we hear Paul's voice say, quote, it's a chicken. We next hear the other male voice shout, quote, come here, Bubba, come here, Bubba. Seconds later, the video ends. Creighton Waters asks Will Loving about what he heard on that recording. Which voices did you recognize on that video? Uh, Paul Murdahl, Maggie Murdahl, and Alex Murdahl. And how sure are you? 100%. person whose voice you recognize on there that you identified as Alec Murdahl, do you see him in the courtroom here today? Um, yes, sir. Can you point him out for the jury? He's sitting right there. Your Honor, please let the record reflect he's identified the defendant. It does. Judge Clifton Newman acknowledges for the record that Will Loving has pointed out Alex Murdoch. And with that, Prosecutor Waters concludes his direct examination of the witness. Defense attorney Jim Griffin rises to begin his cross-examination of the witness. Good afternoon, Will. How you doing? Good. It's a hard day, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. You, you mentioned about a Snapchat video that uh, you received on um, sometime the evening of June the 7th. Do you remember what time that, that was? Um, I don't. It was later in the afternoon, um, somewhere around like 7 o'clock-ish in that area. And and what was it of? Um, it was uh, Alex and his son Paul. They were riding around looking at trees that they had built and, you know, laughing, having a good time. I don't have Snapchat. Tell us a little bit about what that is. Um, Snapchat's an app on a you know smartphone that you can send pictures and videos to your friends. You can save pictures and videos. Um but it's just an app that you know, most young people use. And, and, and it's a way to share videos? Correct, yes, sir. And, and videos supposed to disappear after some period of time? Uh, yeah, they have, a, they have a limit on them. Uh, you can either send it for, it'll play over and over and over again until somebody clicks off of it, or it'll, you can go up to like from one to ten seconds. But you can also save a Snapchat if you want to to look at later. And is it like Facebook? You have friends that want to you know, be on your circle of snapchat is that how yes, it works and did paul have a lot of snapchat they call friends on snapchat yes sir he did and would he frequently post things on snapchat yes sir and would he frequently post things you know events like he did on the evening of june the 7th when he and his father were out you know messing around with the tree yes sir he would and we post stuff with his family yes sir he would okay and, and the Snapchat, that he, when he would post it, would it go to everybody who's in his, I guess, group? Who yeah, you have to uh, send it to certain people. Um, he wouldn't necessarily put stuff. They have what's called a story that everybody that you're friends with can see. He wouldn't necessarily always put stuff on his story, but he would send stuff to whoever, whoever he wanted to. I think we're going to learn more about Snapchat. Uh, but let me ask you, when Paul would post on Snapchat, could people see where he was posting from? Did he have his location services activated? I don't think he kept his location on. Uh, sometimes you can, they have filters and stuff that show you different areas where you are, but I don't think he kept his Snapchat location on. Well, when he posted the uh, video of he and his dad at Moselle, did it, um, could you tell that he, 
he was at Moselle. Uh, yes, I could tell he was at Moselle just from being there, but you know, maybe somebody who doesn't know the property wouldn't know. Jim Griffin next dives into Mr. Loving's personal relationship with Paul Murdoch. You and Paul were good friends, and Paul was friends with your friend group out of Columbia, is that right? Yes, sir, that's right. And then y'all would sort of migrate to Charleston, and some of the Columbia folks went to Charleston, and y'all would visit down there? Yes, sir, that's correct. And, and I guess originally y'all met at Edisto with family homes and vacationing, and right? Yeah, that's where everybody met until, you know, everybody went to college, and then everybody just kind of meets up. Okay. And, uh, and sometimes Paul would come to Columbia and stay with you? Correct. And you had another friend, uh, Wills Chapman, that he would stay with Wills? Correct. Okay. Next, Griffin abruptly asks the witness a series of questions about Paul Murdoch's habits in looking after his firearms. I mean, Paul, like, left a 300 blackout at your house for some period of time, didn't he? Yes, sir, he did. How long did Paul leave a 300 blackout at your home? Probably a month or so, at least. And I think when Wills Chapman moved to Charleston, what did he find in his closet? He found Paul's deer hunting rifle. That Paul had left there? Yes, sir. And Paul had thought he had lost his deer hunting rifle? Correct. And lo and behold, it was at Wills Chapman's house, right? Yes, sir. I mean, was that unusual for Paul to leave stuff everywhere? No, not at all. Would he leave guns around the farm? Uh, yeah, he, he would every now and again. We'd leave them, say, in the golf cart? Uh, yes, sir. And we'd leave them in unlocked trucks? Yes, sir. And you were asked about the kennels, but what about in the workshop, the shed? We leave guns down there. Um, that's where I was, you know, referring to. You know, you'd see them down there sometimes, but there, I don't think there was ever guns permanently down there, no, sir. Okay. And um, and when he left the 300 blackout in Columbia, what, was it the one that Mr. Waters showed you, this black one with the thermal scope? Yes, sir, it was. Okay. And and you learned at some point in time that that he got a what there was a replacement for one he had previously lost. Uh, yes, I did. I didn't even know that it was a replacement. Um, like I said, I didn't know about the original one. I just, I just remember seeing the brown one. And that brown one did not have a scope, right? No, sir, it didn't until and, we bought one. And you went with Paul to uh, Ace Hardware Store and purchased a scope and um, an amount for it, right? Yes, sir. Now, the the day that uh, you purchased the scope and the mount, was it the weekend that you were talking about where the last time you used it? Um, I'm not sure if it was that weekend or maybe the next weekend, but they were both pretty close together. Okay, but you were there when he purchased the scope and the mount? Correct. Did you go back to Moselle and put it on the gun? Yes, sir, we did. And did uh, you use the gun that weekend or or waited till the following weekend? That's what, I'm not 100% sure if we used it that weekend or if it was the following weekend. Um, I know we sighted it in that day that we bought the scope for. So that was the day when you were... Um, Shooting off the railing beside the, the gun room. Correct. The day you bought the scope. Yes, sir. And it's possible you hunted with it that weekend, but if not, it was the following weekend. Yes, sir. Had you ever seen that gun again after that weekend or the following weekend, whichever it was? No, sir, I haven't. Okay. And would you be able to more accurately provide when it was, I think you said late March, early April, if uh, you saw the receipt from the purchase? Yes, sir. I'll show you what was marked as Defendant's Exhibit 62. ask you, first, do you recognize Paul's signature on that document? Uh, yes, sir, I do. You know that to be his signature? Yes, sir. And does that reference the purchase of Red Dot Scope and the mount? Uh, yes, it does. And that's from Ace Hardware? Yes, sir. And were you there with I, Paul when he bought it? I was. Will you, will you tell the jury what uh, the date of, of that is? It is March the 6th, Okay. 2021. 
So knowing that the purchase on March 6, 2021, a Saturday, does that help you remember when you last used the gun? Yeah, so that was a Saturday. Um, so we would have cited it in that Saturday. And I do remember using the gun. It was the first week of turkey season because we were going turkey hunting the next morning, which would have been either March 20th or March 22nd. I can't remember what it was two years ago with the opening day of the season. So it would have been three weeks after we cited it in. Okay. So you cited it on March 6th? Yes, sir. Okay. Defense attorney Griffin then pivots to asking Mr. Loving about his final encounter with Paul Murdoch. When was the last time you saw Paul in person? Two weekends previous to uh, when everything happened. It was Memorial Weekend. So you saw him Memorial Day weekend? Yes, sir. And, and where did you see him? Um, we all stayed at the Edisto Beach House. And when you say we all, who are you referring to? Me, myself, and three or four other buddies, along with Alex, Maggie, and I believe that was it. And um, did you uh, did you spend a lot of time with Paul around his dad and mom? Yes, sir, I did. And how would you describe Paul's relationship with his father? It was an awesome relationship. And what do you mean by awesome? Um, it just seemed, kind of seemed like Paul was the apple of his eye. And um, from your observation, you tell the jury what, what you observed of Alex's relationship with um, Maggie. Um, I thought they had an awesome relationship as well from everything that I could see. You know, they were always laughing and everybody got along. You know, was, nothing was out of the ordinary at all. Did Maggie and Alec open their home up to Paul and Buster's friends? Yes, they did. How many people stayed at the Edisto Beach House that Memorial Day weekend? Um, I'm not 100% positive, but at least three or four friends. Okay, and where'd y'all stay? Um, all in the bedrooms. I think somebody might have been on the couch on the porch outside, maybe the couch inside as well. Okay. And was Buster there? Um, I believe Buster was there, but I'm not 100% sure. And did he have any of his friends there? Or? Yet again, I'm not sure. Okay. Griffin moves on to questioning Mr. Loving about his reaction to learning about Paul's murder. You mentioned that when you got a phone call from Paul's cousin, I believe, after midnight on, on June 7th, so early morning, June 8th. You learned what happened, and your immediate reaction was to hightail it out of there? Yes, sir. And were you fearful for your safety? Um, at first, I wasn't, and then I was calling back other friends, and you know, people started telling me to get out of there, so then I started second-guessing myself, and yeah, then I got out of there. And, and when, you, when you left, I mean, did you even lock it up when you left? I honestly couldn't tell you. I'm going to show you uh, what I've marked as Exhibit 61, and it's a disc. And before you testify today, do you have an opportunity to view that sh very short video clip on the disc? Um, yes, sir, I did. Are those your initials on the disc? Yes, sir, they are my initials. And is it a uh, short video of the Memorial Day weekend when you were down at Edisto with Paul and your friends and, and Maggie and Alec? Yes, sir, it is. And is it one of a, a birthday celebration for Alec? It was. It was a birthday celebration for Alex. It's going to play without the sound, but have you seen the video? Yes, sir. Are people singing happy birthday to Alex? Yes, sir, they are. Okay. Griffin then plays a video of Alex Murdoch's birthday party. As the video plays, the defendant Alex Murdoch watches, appearing visibly moved by the memory evoked by the clip in which a group of people, including Maggie and Paul, sing him happy birthday. The video ends with Alex thanking everyone.
Griffin next asks about the aftermath of the shootings and what Mr. Loving thought about Alex Murdoch's demeanor in the days following the murders. On the Wednesday after Paul and Maggie were murdered, you went to Moselle, correct? Yes, sir, I did. With some friends of yours? Um, yes, sir. I mean, the friends of Paul's? Yes, sir. How many? Um, I think three of us went. And how many other people were there, friends of Paul's? Um, there was a lot of friends of Paul's there. More than ten? On Wednesday, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I think a lot of people were kind of trying to feel out the situation, so just like soup, the closer friends went. But there was probably ten or so of his friends there when I was there. And what was Alex Murdoch's demeanor on the Wednesday? He was grieving, crying a lot. I think we all were. I think you described it that he just couldn't talk. You remember that? Yeah, it was pretty hard to talk when you know he came and grabbed me and two other guys, and we just kind of had a big hug, and it was pretty tough for him to make words. Was he crying? Yes, sir. Were you crying? Yes, sir. Everybody in there crying? Yes, sir. All right. All the questions I have now. Jim Griffin returns to the defense table, and Judge Clifton Newman invites the prosecutor, Creighton Waters, to begin his redirect of the witness. Waters plays the last part of the birthday video that Jim Griffin had just presented as evidence. He pauses the video and asks Mr. Loving, Who's that guy in the green shirt? Do you know? It's Chris Wilson. Do you know Chris Wilson's relationship to Alec Wilson? Or Alec Murdoch? Yeah, I think they're best friends. Best friends. Best friends should do each other right, isn't that correct? Yes, sir. You were asked about when you found out about the murders and you talked to some people and then you kind of hightailed it out of your place, right? Yes, sir. Because you were scared or at least thinking about the possibility of some sort of harm. Is that correct? That's correct. Because it was a shock for everyone, wasn't it? Yes, sir. It stopped everything in its tracks, didn't it? Yes, sir. Everybody was worried about this family and what was going on and what had happened. Is that right? That's correct, yes, sir. Anything else people were worried about went out the window. They were all focused on Alec at that moment, were they not, in themselves. Is that correct? Um, I mean, I think they were focused on everybody that had anything to do with it. Anything that had anything to do with this family. Is that right? Yes, sir. You were uh, shown the Snapchat video. You were also asked about another Snapchat video that you saw the day of the murders. Yes, sir. And what was on that video? Um, it was a video of Alex and his son riding around looking at trees that had fallen over on the tractor or on the golf cart. Was it a short clip? Yes, sir, it was. Waters then introduces into evidence this new video recorded by Paul Murdoch on the day of the murders, and before he plays it for the witness, the prosecutor asks, About what time do you recall receiving this video, to the best of your recollection? Um, it was later in the afternoon. Uh, I, was, I believe it was after I cooked dinner, probably around 7 o'clock, sometime in there. In the video, we see the defendant, Alex Murdoch, standing next to a tree wearing an untucked powder blue Oxford shirt, a pair of khaki pants, and brown loafers. After playing the clip, Prosecutor Waters asks Mr. Loving, Is that the video you saw? Uh, yes, it is. That was on the afternoon or the evening of June 7th, 2021? That's correct. That's the clothes that he was wearing, at least in that video you saw on the evening of June 7th, 2021? Uh, yeah, those are, I mean, those are the clothes I saw in the video. Waters again plays the clip. Long pants and a shirt? Uh, yep. Yes, sir. And those particular shoes? Yes, sir. And you watched that video in real time when it came in from Paul's phone that evening, is that correct? That is correct. Prosecutor Creighton Waters finishes his redirect by referencing the defense questions about the relationship that the defendant had with Maggie and Paul. You were uh, asked about the relationship that you observed between uh, Alec and Paul and Alec and Maggie, is that correct? That is correct. 
to your eye, it was a it was a very good relationship. Is that correct? Yes, sir. It was a good relationship, to, in my point of view. Earlier on this day, Waters sought to use Rogan Gibson's testimony about that family relationship to introduce evidence of the defendant's financial distress as a possible motive for killing his wife and son. Here, Waters seeks to do the same with Mr. Loving's testimony. Did you know anything about Alex's finances? Um, no, I did not. Did you know anything about his law practice? Um, no, I did not. Did you know anything about where he gets his money? No, I did not. Did you know anything about where he was spending his money? No, I did not. Did you know anything about what his bank account balances were? No, sir, I did not. Did you know anything about the debt that he was carrying? Do you know anything about that? No, sir. Did you know the specific things that were going on in the boat case the week that Paul and Maggie were murdered? No, sir. Do you know anything about civil discovery and, and how it can expose financial information? No, sir. Do you know anything at all about him being confronted on June 7th, 2021 about object. Judge Clifton Newman stays Jim Griffin's objection so that he can hear the question. Did you know anything about him being confronted on the morning of June 7th, 2021 about $792,000 of missing fees from his law firm? Objection, Your Honor. Totally improper. Objection overruled. With Judge Newman overruling the defense objection to a question about the defendant's financial improprieties, he appears to signal that such evidence of the defendant's possible motives for killing his wife and son will be allowed in the case. Did you know anything about that? No, I did not. you know any of the facts of those things that I just asked you about? No, sir. Nothing further. Anything further? No. Step down. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for today. We'll see you at 9.30 tomorrow morning. Please do not discuss the case. And with the conclusion of day six of the trial of Alex Murdoch, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty. Please join us on our next installment as we begin our review of day seven of the trial, where both the prosecution and defense will continue their debate over the admissibility of financial crimes as evidence of the defendant's possible motive. We will also cover the testimony of Heidi Galore, an operations lead from Snapchat who will provide information related to the retrieval of data for the investigation. Also, check out the Crime Story Podcast Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And, if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætter alle de der podcast og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. 